Hello everyone and welcome back to the sign of the dollar. Don't judge a book by its cover. The early bird gets the worm. You can't have your cake and eat it too. I'm sure you've all heard these adages and proverbs, which are generally considered to be truths that usually have a moral connotation to them. So there's a lot of sayings that, that we're used to hearing that are supposed to tell us basic moral values. So given the fact that my podcast is focused primarily on philosophical issues, I thought it would be quite interesting to actually investigate and think about these so-called moral truths and whether they really are as universally true as they are considered to be or at least um, intended to be. So without further ado, let's get into them. So the first adage I mentioned was don't judge a book by its cover. I think the meaning of this adage is fairly self-explanatory. If you see someone, you shouldn't judge them by their looks. You shouldn't judge them uh, by their appearance before actually getting to know them. I mean, the literal definition is if you see the cover of a book, you shouldn't judge what's actually inside the book, like whether the book is going to be good or not just by looking at its cover. But of course, that applies in all kinds of situations. It doesn't only have to be about a person. It could even be about an action that you're taking. It could be maybe it's a club that you're joining or a university you want to attend. You know, it could be anything. But the point is, don't judge something based on its exterior appearance rather than the actual content of it, whether that's, you know, an actual person's personality or, or anything else. So, okay, is this statement true? Or rather, is it a helpful piece of moral advice? I certainly think it is. I mean, there is no way for us to know about something without actually getting to know it, right? That seems fairly obvious. If you if you see something, you know, that there's there's a rare chance that that thing is actually going to be as you picture it in your mind. Because, of course, especially in the case of humans, we're very complex beings. And so I don't think there's much to be said about this added. I think it's certainly uh, true and certainly a helpful piece of moral advice that, you know, everyone should follow. Of course, we're all guilty of it. Our brain automatically makes judgments when we see something or see someone. And that's not something we can entirely avoid, but it is something that we can certainly subdue or make sure it doesn't impact the way that we look at someone even after we've gotten to know them. So the next adage or proverb I have written here is, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And the meaning of it is quite literal. It means, you know, if, if, you, have a, if you have a cake, uh, you can't have it, meaning you can't just keep it with you uh, and eat it too. Once you eat it, it's gone. But the broader meaning and application of this adage is that if you have two um, equally desirable or two alternatives that are both desirable but mutually exclusive, you know, something that if you do, you can't do the other thing, that's basically what it means, that um, you can't enjoy both of those alternatives, especially if they're, if they're contradictory that way. And when I looked, when I was looking up adages in Proverbs, this reminded me of a passage from uh, Ayn Rand's uh, book, Atlas Shrugged during the John Galt speech. So I'd like to read out that passage because I think it does an effective commentary on, on the broader uh, moral connotation of this proverb. And then we'll see if I have anything to comment on it. As you probably have realized, I'm taking this uh, off the cuff as I do most of my podcast episodes. So I'll just read it. And if there's any thoughts that spring to mind, I'll just share them. So here we go. 
To exist is to be something, as distinguished from the nothing of non-existence. It is to be an entity of a specific nature made of specific attributes. Centuries ago, the man who was, no matter what his errors, the greatest of your philosophers has stated the formula defining the concept of existence and the rule of all knowledge. A is A, a thing is itself. By the way, just a side note, if you're wondering which man Ayn Rand, or in this case, John Galt, is talking about, it's Aristotle. He talked about the law of identity, which uh, stated that A is A. He's going to uh, go on to explain this. Let's, let's continue. You have never grasped the meaning of his statement. I'm here to complete it. Existence is identity. Consciousness is identification. So some pretty interesting I ideas here, but let's continue. Whatever you choose to consider, be it an object, an attribute, or an action, the law of identity remains the same. A leaf cannot be a stone at the same time. It cannot be all red and all green at the same time. It cannot freeze and burn at the same time. A is A, or if you wish it stated in simpler language, you cannot have your cake and eat it too. Are you seeking to know what is wrong with the world? All the disasters that have wrecked your world came from your leaders' attempt to evade the fact that A is A. All of the secret evil you dread to face within you and all the pain you have ever endured came from your own attempt to evade the fact that A is A. The purpose of those who taught you to evade it was to make you forget that man is man. So some pretty heavy and deep stuff here. And you may be wondering, you know, what's the moral connotation here? What is John Galt or Ayn Rand on about? So I think this relates very heavily to a sort of a reasonist and objectivist, I mean, that is Ayn Rand's philosophy, um, way of looking at the world. Ayn Rand defines rationality as acting in accordance with reality, um, assuming that reality is objective, which I think is a fairly obvious notion. Of course, there's philosophers that di disagree with this. But the point is that reality itself is objective because it ex exists independent of our perception. It, it, it is as it is, in, in simple words. That's why reality itself has identity. Everything around us has identity. Now, a person who is colorblind might not see things the way a person who isn't color, color, colorblind sees things. And that really has to do with, with our definition of, of various colors. But there are objective ways to define what a color actually is. If you've learned physics, you know the reason you see colors is because a certain uh, wavelength of light is reflected off of a certain surface, whereas all other wavelengths of, of light are absorbed. And that particular wavelength of light that is reflected is the color that we see. And different animals have different ranges of color. Similarly, different humans may lack the to see the full visible spectrum of colors as, as we call it. Okay, you may be wondering, what am I going on about? Why am I talking about colors and perception and reality? So the point here is that reality is objective and it exists independent of our perception. And therefore, in order to make good decisions, in order to make moral decisions, we have to act in accordance with reality. Even if we can't perceive it to its fullest extent, we should consider it, think about it, and act accordingly. So when we talk about reason, of course, if somebody asks you to define what reasonable is, it's, it's difficult for you to do so. But it, it just seems like the best decision to make given the alternatives, given the facts, and, and all of that together. So in a philosophy where rationality and reason is held to the 
highest regard, which it also is in, in, the, in my own philosophy, you have to embrace the fact that reality is objective and therefore morality can also be objective, which is another idea that I'll express in another podcast and certainly do express in my book. And once you've embraced that, you can start trying to act in accordance with it. Now, of course, different people will have different ideas as to what acting in accordance to reality is, which is why if you ask two people to think about a certain decision, they might come up with different ideas and that's totally fine. But that presence of the consideration, you know, using your own reason and thinking it out, weighing out the alternatives, the possibilities is something that is of utmost importance. So we started at you, you can't have your cake and eat it too, which is, which seems like a rather specific piece of advice about, you know, choosing between things and, you know, extended that idea far beyond that and talked about how, you know, this sort of idea relates to the law of identity and how the law of identity relates to, or how it can be used at least, uh, to justify a sort of reason-based uh, philosophy. Okay, let's move on to the next adage or proverb. Okay, so the next one I have here is what you don't know can't hurt you. And while I think that this adage in some way is true, it's a very bad way to look at the world and to look at knowledge in general. The point here is that if you don't know about something, it can't hurt you. So maybe, for example, if you don't know about the so all of the atrocities that happen in the world, you can't feel bad about them. But, you know, there's, there's a serious problem with that outlook. If you use that outlook to justify why you shouldn't gain knowledge, it's, it's very flawed. Because even though reality can be harsh, shielding people from it is not going to benefit us in any way, especially if we want that reality to improve, which we have the power to do, ignoring it or turning a blind eye is not going to help at all. And this relates to a, another proverb that I have in this list, so I'll just bring it up now. Knowledge is power. The more you know, um, the better decisions you can make, um, the more you can do about something. And in general, I think it should be everybody's goal to gain the maximum amount of knowledge and to seek truth even when it's not pleasant. And I think there's there's something to be said about the, I guess, respectability of, of doing that, you know, having the ability to to overcome your negative emotions associated with with harsh realities to actually face them. And once you face them, there's there's things you can do, whether you actually act in order to change that reality or, or whether the knowledge itself can eventually lead to somebody uh, making a change rather than just ignoring it entirely because ignoring something isn't going to make it go away. So that proverb is indeed true because like literally speaking, what you don't know can't hurt you is true, but you shouldn't be afraid of something hurting you. Uh, and I think that is a price that has to be and should be paid uh, for knowledge. Okay, moving on. The next adage or proverb I have here is two wrongs don't make a right. And I think this is, I mean, it is true. I don't think there's there's any way to rebut that. If you If somebody else does something wrong and you do something wrong, it doesn't make what you're doing right. But it also depends on the context because, for example, somebody might use this argument for the death penalty. They might say the death penalty is wrong because if you if somebody kills someone and then you kill the person who killed that other person, you're basically committing the fallacy saying, you know, thinking that two wrongs are going to make a right. 
No, I don't think that's true at all because those two decisions or those two actions are in no way of equal moral worth, so to speak. And what I mean by that is somebody killing somebody else in cold blood is definitely not the same as somebody being killed as a punishment for doing so. Of course, killing in general is not considered immoral in all cases. That's why we have the, dis uh, the distinction between murder and killing. If I kill someone in self-defense when I had you know, no other alternative, if my life was being threatened and I killed someone in order to defend myself, I'm sure most people would agree that that's a completely moral decision on my end because I have to act in self-defense. I have that right. So similarly, since killing can be justified in some cases, uh, the question is, okay, can it be justified in the case of killing someone as punishment. Now, that's a whole different issue, so I won't get into it, but the point is these two things are different. Killing isn't equivalent in all cases, and that's why to use this argument to uh, debunk the death penalty or to say that it shouldn't exist, saying something like two wrongs don't make a right, just wouldn't be a good argument because you're ignoring the fact that these two decisions are completely different. And you might want to say that um, deciding to kill someone as a punishment is wrong and that's a different argument, but if you just assume that it's wrong because it's also a killing, that's just a lack of rigor in your thought process. And uh, in any similar context, if this uh, thing is used, two wrongs don't make a right, for example, uh, if somebody's taking revenge, if somebody if somebody's treated badly and they want to take revenge. Now, of course, I think revenge can be counterproductive very often. It can take away from somebody's moral value, but at the same time, I do think in many cases it can be justified. So I, I think that two wrongs don't make a right is a true statement because logically speaking, if, if I make two mistakes in a maths problem, for example, that doesn't mean I'm going to end up with the right answer. I'll only end up at the right answer if those two wrongs sort of canceled each other out. And that doesn't always happen. It only happens if those two wrongs are done in the same manner. So for example, if I make a mistake about the sign of, of a certain equation, right? Like if I have a minus sign in front or a plus sign uh, in front, if I first apply a minus sign where there isn't one and then multiply minus one after that again, then I'm going to end up with the correct answer because I'm, I'm basically undoing the mistake that I did. But for example, if I accidentally multiply by minus one and then multiply by five, those are both two mistakes that aren't going to correct or cancel each other out. So for two mistakes to cancel each other out, they need to be of the same nature and they need to be opposing. So that's why logically speaking, two wrongs don't make a right is a true statement uh, most of the time. And morally speaking as well, I think that it can be true, but it also depends on what context it's being used. If it's being used in the context of, of trying to uh, debunk or trying to argue against a form of revenge or the death penalty or something like that, I don't think it's a strong argument. Okay, next adage or proverb. Uh, and I'm going to mention these two together. So first I have actions speak louder than words. And I think this is true. I don't really think there's too much to be said about this. Uh, the point is that, you know, just speaking about something doesn't make it true. You're not speaking, uh, you're not really gaining anything by just talking on and on about something without actually taking any action. So of course, actions speak louder than words. I think that's, that's very true. At the same time, I do think talking about something can help you bring it into existence. I, I think this is another adage or, or proverb that you can speak something in, into existence. But of course, you know, 
that talk needs to be accompanied with actual action. And the talk shouldn't be sort of, I guess you shouldn't develop an ego or pride based on the fact that you talk about all these things unless you actually do them. And as for the actual literal definition, actions speak louder than words, even if words have value. Um, I certainly think that actions have more value. For example, if you say that you care about someone, but then go and do something that would suggest otherwise, uh, you know, that action is going to be taken more seriously than your words that you said that you care about that person. So yes, I think that this is a true statement. Okay, I, I know I said I was going to mention another adage or proverb and accompaniment with this, but I think I've forgotten it. So let's just move on. So the next adage or proverb I have here is don't put all of your eggs in one basket. And that basically means, um, I mean, it, it could be about a career, could be about something else, but don't have, you know, don't rely on one particular thing to go well for you without a backup plan. So for example, if I said I wanted to become a full-time podcaster, Somebody might say, don't put all of your eggs in one basket because podcasting isn't the most sustainable job. And if you don't have any backup plan, then, you know, you're you're going to be in, in trouble if podcasting doesn't work out for you, which is why you shouldn't put all of your eggs in one basket. And I mean, I, I agree with that. Does that mean you can't dedicate all of your efforts to one particular thing or that you shouldn't in any case? I don't think so. I think if you know you're talented and you have potential. And it's hard to know this because sometimes you don't know until you actually put that effort in and, and realize your, your actual skills. But if you do have some knowledge of, of your ability in a, in a particular field, first of all, you have to be realistic. You have to um, be self-aware and know your limits. But does that mean you shouldn't have a backup plan? You can put all of your effort into one thing, but does that mean you shouldn't have a backup plan or that if you don't put, if you do put all your effort in one thing that you can't have a backup plan? No, I think you can have a backup plan even if you focus primarily on one thing. And as for the question of if you should always have a backup plan, um, I mean, logically speaking, pragmatically speaking, especially for careers that are, you know, you have very little odds of succeeding, um, yeah, it, it would make sense to have a backup plan. But then again, like I said, um, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't consider putting all of your effort into one particular endeavor because the people that we see succeed, even if they're a very small percentage of people who do this, did indeed do that or do indeed do that. Uh, so directly contradicting that or not really con contradicting that, but on the opposite side is uh, don't put too many irons in the fire. And the point that that adage or proverb is making is that you shouldn't spread yourself out too wide. You shouldn't do too many things. You should specialize. And this is something that I've been told a lot because, you know, there's a lot of things that I do. I rap. I record a podcast. I'm writing a book. I want to study physics at university. I want to be a philosopher, author, rapper, you know, just mentioning these things in terms of careers, uh, entrepreneur, investor, all at the same time. And people tell me, well, you know, don't don't spread yourself out so wide because you'll become jack of all trades, master of none. Means mean basically meaning you 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 might be decent at many things, but you won't be really really good at at one particular thing. And I definitely see where people are coming from when they when they say that. And that's why don't put too many irons in the fire. Definitely is a valid statement. You should be able to focus your efforts on a particular thing to be successful in it. Now, as for my my personal reasons as to why I'm doing so many things is because I don't think that these things have to be done 
um, in isolation. I don't think that you have to be only an entrepreneur or only a rapper. Now, of course, it is very ambitious to want to be all of these things at once, but you know, a lot of them have similarities. You can sort of group um, rapper, podcaster, author all into public figure, right? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's there's rappers who who have written books, but of course, you might say, well, they're primarily known as rappers. And then later, they decide to write a book, which is fair enough. But the point is, you know, it can be all grouped into public figure. It doesn't mean that I have to do only one of those things. You know, I can be known for many things. And another, uh, you know, the other aspect of it is, you know, my interest in physics and entrepreneurship, you know, that that can all be also grouped into entrepreneurship, which, you know, so too can my rap and my book and all of that, because basically it's all just, you know, independent endeavors uh, that are done by myself that, you know, I don't need to be employed for. So this became more of a personal discussion, but as for whether I think don't put too many irons in the fire is a valid statement or not, I I definitely think it is a valid statement. Once again, it depends on on the context and if the things you are doing are in work in harmony with each other, if they work against each other, uh, and if you really have the drive and and um, ambition and also the realistically the ability to be able to um, you know actually take upon all of these responsibilities because you know some people are, are just different like some people do better when they when they they're focused on one thing other other people you know can actually use their learnings from a, a different endeavor and apply it to another one and in so doing improve everything that they're doing so it it also largely depends on the kind of person that's that's doing it. But in general, I'd say it's it's a fairly valid statement that needs to be considered. Okay, the next adage or proverb I've written here is easy come, easy go. And this is usually in reference to money. If you get money quickly or easily, it can also go easily. Um, you know, you, you can also lose it fast and easily. And for the most part, I think like, of course, you could probably do research about this to actually see how accurate this claim is. But for the most part, I think that this is a, a true, true statement. If you get money quickly and easily, or if you get success or fame easily and quickly, chances are it's gonna go just as easily and just as quickly. For example, if you're thinking about people who go viral on YouTube, the people who go viral by luck, and you might you might not know for sure if it's by luck or not because some people actually might have put effort into something that you wouldn't know about. But you know, there's a lot of sort of artists or or people that that might just go viral by pure luck, but they won't stay. They won't have longe- longevity. They won't be a famous artist or a famous person for a long time because they didn't sort of develop that over time. And it is important to develop something over time for it to be actually sort of start getting set in stone and and have some longevity or sustainability to it. So in general, I think this is a, this is a true statement that if something comes easily, it can also go easily. But then of course, you know, there's way too many factors at play. Sometimes people can just keep getting lucky again and again. Uh, a lot of this is up to the universe, but it does make sense that for the most part, most of the time, if success, fame, things like this come easily, they can also go easily, especially if there's no um, sort of effort that that is put into sustaining them. Moving on, the next adage or proverb I have here is God helps those who help themselves. So this uh, adage or proverb includes God, but I think it can be 
applied to humanists or people who don't believe in God as well, you know, they might say uh, the universe helps those who help themselves. And even if you don't give the universe any sort of material uh, identity or even an immaterial identity, uh, the, the, po the point is that if you help yourself, you're going to be more successful. And I think that this is definitely true, or, or this might even be applied to other people. Other people help people who help themselves. And even if this isn't always true, I think that's how it should be, right? If I'm deciding that I want to go out and help someone, you know, I want to use my abilities and resources to help someone, I would try to do it for someone who actually wants to be helped and who actually is trying to help themselves. If I saw somebody who is sort of in a bad position and they aren't really trying to get out of it and they don't really want to take advice to get out of it, I wouldn't be as inclined to go and help them than I would be to actually help someone who's actively trying to get themselves out of a particular situation. And, you know, this can also be addressed in the context of um, economics and and in general about, you know, charities and stuff like that and what kind of people, you know, should be helped or not. But of course, that's a completely different discussion. But the point here is that, you know, you can't sort of rely on somebody else's help. You need to help yourself. And for somebody's help to actually be useful to you, you also need to help yourself. So whether or not people help those who don't help themselves, the people who do help themselves are going to be the ones who end up actually getting something out of it. And yeah, whether you think about it in the context of God or not, I think it's a definitely a true statement and a, and a good way to look at things. If you're in a bad position, even if it's not your fault, it is your responsibility to try your best to get out of it. So, um, and then naturally you're going to be in a better position. Others are gonna help you. And if you believe in God, God is going to help you uh, to get out of that position. Moving on. The next one I have here is honesty is the best policy. And that basically implies that, you know, we should always be honest. We should always seek truth. We should always, uh, we shouldn't lie in general, like, you know, like, like uh, Kantian philosophers would, would argue that, uh, you know, lying itself is a wrong action, so it should never be done. Uh, now, as to the question is if I think this is true or moral or, you know, a good way to look at things, I think for the most part, yes, I do think that, like I said, um, earlier I talked about, about truth and seeking truth and, and, um, and facing harsh realities, all of that. So I certainly believe that, that truth should be held to a very high regard and we should always seek it. Uh, but does that mean that you can never lie or that there is no situation in which lying is is right? No, I definitely think there are several situations in which lying can be justified. For example, if a, a family in during World War II was hiding a Jew in their house, um, lying to the Nazis that, that they didn't have a Jew in their house would be justified because they're you know doing a noble thing by actually protecting that person, but they have to lie while doing it. You know, you can think of similar examples for many other things, sort of lying uh, in order to protect someone, something, um, but but obviously not protecting someone from harsh realities if, if that's the only reason you're doing it. But the point is that lying can be justified in some cases. Is honesty the best policy? Most of the time, yes, but sometimes, um, you know, dishonesty can be justified as well. The next one I have here is hope for the best, prepare for the worst. And I think this is a really good piece of advice, um, especially in general for individual achievement. You should always, always aim big, you know, aim high, try to do your best. O obviously, there's that thing about 
being realistic as well, which you should be. But, you know, if you aim high and you fall short, at least you get higher than you would have if you aim aim a bit lower than that and achieve it or, or fall short of that. So that's why I think, you know, aiming high is important. Maybe aiming within the realistic bounds of your abilities once you've sort of got a grasp of that. Uh, but then also being aware that, you know, the, the universe just isn't always that just in, in, in delivering what you feel you deserve. So you have to be prepared for uh, the worst possible outcome. Like you may even do something for good and it may end up backfiring on you. That just, it just happens. That's, that's the nature of reality. That's the nature of the universe. And that's why you need to be prepared for that situation. So I think this applies for any, any situation. And I, I think it's, it's a good piece of advice in general. Hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Next one I have here is if you, if you can't beat them, join them. And I don't know if this is intended to really be a moral uh, truth or or a good piece of advice because I think a lot of people would disagree that if you can't beat them, join them. Like, for example, you know, let's say in the alternate version of history, um, the rest of the world was not able to beat Germany during uh, World War II. Uh, and they just joined them, like, you know, that, that wouldn't make any sense. If you're, if you're fighting for, for a particular cause and, you know, it's that there, it, it, it would be, it would be very um, dumb and, and not moral at all to, to give up and join someone else, uh, join the opposing side. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think this is a moral statement at, at, at all. Um, I, like, pragmatically, maybe, like, if, if you're only... Um, sense of moral value is survival. Uh, like, for example, if you are living in Germany and you know, maybe like you, you're you have no power to beat the Nazi army, you'd have to join it for for the sake of survival. And maybe in that case, if you're forced into it, especially, um, it it might not be considered as immoral as it would be otherwise. But still, I don't think that if you can't beat them, join them is a good piece of moral advice. And I know that it's usually used in less extreme circumstances especially when joining somebody else, uh, joining another team doesn't necessarily mean that that team is immoral in any way. You know, it might just be used for a certain trend that's going on, maybe something in business. So there are some circumstances in which it might be justified, but for the most part, I don't think if you can't beat them, join them is a good policy or a good piece of advice. Okay, the next one I have here is, if you want something done right, do it yourself. And this is something that I really believed in and to some extent still believe in and you know religiously followed um i thought that you know i you know there, there's a particular way i like things done which is why you know i prefer doing things on my own so if i relate this to my experience in school for example i whenever i was put into a group i'd end up doing all the work and i convinced myself that it's because other people don't uh do work or they're just lazy and that was true for a lot of the cases, but even when other people did want to do work or did end up doing work, you know, I'd redo it because I wanted things done in a particular way. And, you know, I was a strong student, so I guess you could say that particular way was, uh, quote unquote, the right way. Maybe it wasn't, and maybe in some cases it was. Uh, but I, I strongly believed in that, which is why I was not the best collaborator because I, I always wanted to do things uh, on my own and um, in independently. And while there's definitely value to being independent and 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 doing something in your own way, um, there is also a lot of value to to collaborating with with other people uh, and assuming that other people know something that you maybe don't. 
and that can end up with a much better result, teamwork in general. Now, of course, there are some things that, that call for independent work, uh, some things that, you know, should be done independently. And if you involve other people, it can actually, in fact, be counterproductive. But uh, for the most part, I, I guess if you want something done right, do it yourself is in some ways true. But at the same time, it shouldn't be used as an excuse to not seek help or collaboration because, you know, it is this help and collaboration, this sort of, you know, collective thinking and um, collaborative thinking that has helped us advance so much as, as a society. So it's definitely something that should not be avoided or skirted uh, because you want something done a particular way or because you want something done right, so to speak. Okay, so directly opposing this is that two heads are better than one, which basically says if you have two people working on something, they're going to do it better or end up with a better result than if it was just the one person. And I definitely think this isn't true. It can be true in some cases, but it's certainly not universally true. There are definitely things that can be done better by a singular person. It also depends on what kind of people you're putting together. Maybe those people don't have a good dynamic. Maybe they don't work together. Maybe one is really smart and one is really dumb, but the one that is really dumb has a lot more influence and you know that's going to end up with a worse result than if the one who was really smart did it independently. So you know there's all of these cases in which two heads aren't necessarily better than one. So while this might be true in certain situations, it's definitely not universally true. Moving on, uh, blood is thicker than water. And this is a statement about relatives as opposed to friends, uh, basically mentioning how, uh, you know, relative, the bond that you have with relatives should and is stronger uh, because you're you're related to them. You know, it's sort of like more of a permanent relationship than friendships, which can indeed and usually are temporary. So is this true? Is blood thicker than water? I mean, literally speaking, yes, it is. Um, <laughs> the actual texture of blood is obviously thicker than water. But the implication of it morally is, is that also true? And well, okay, what is the implication? Okay, blood is thicker than water, so what? Yeah, okay, your your bonds are stronger with your family. Um, does that mean that you hold them to a different standard? And if so, does that mean you hold them to a higher or lower standard? You know, there's all of these questions that come. Uh, but another thing that people talk about when you talk about family is unconditional love, that you love a family member regardless of what they do and, and you know, how moral their actions are. And while I think there is a... Uh, and justifiably so, a larger extent of forgiveness and and understanding of of your your family. I definitely think there are cases in which it is justified to be estranged from certain family members. Like if if, if your if your brother or your father or something is a murderer or a rapist, like you have every reason to want to distance yourself from that person entirely. Now, if they have certain flaws as somebody who's close to them, you might want to try to point them out and slowly work on them with, you know, with that person and, and try to help them improve, especially if they're a family member. And this also apply, applies for close friends, but especially for family members. Whereas with people who maybe you're not so close with, you know, aren't necessarily going to take your advice. So you might just keep your distance, which is completely fine. Whereas if, if, if you're dealing with a family member, you might want to uh, be more focused on on actually trying to help that person improve. Like I'd say that's to some extent your responsibility rather than just distancing yourself from them. So yes, the, there's a distinction between how you treat your family and how you treat friends. And I think justifiably so that that, that distinction should uh, exist. So uh, yeah, that's my take on that uh, adage or proverb. 
the next one we have here is people in glass houses should not throw stones. So basically, you shouldn't criticize something uh, if it means you're being hypocritical or if it means that you're or if you're not as good at that thing. So I I definitely think that you shouldn't be a hypocrite. Like being a hypocrite is not a desirable character trait. It's it it, it is something that's I guess to some extent immoral. If, if, if you're hypocritical about something. But at the same time, I don't think it's entirely true that you can't criticize something about someone if you're not good at, good at it yourself. Like for example, a lot of music critics or, or sports fans or stuff like that might not be actually good at what they're criticizing, but you know, they have every ability or reason to criticize it. You might be good at criticizing something without actually being good at doing it. And I think, yeah, that's especially true for musicians uh, or, or music. Like if I criticize a, uh, a song and somebody says oh you can't make anything better than that you know that's that's not a good argument like I can criticize a song without having to actually be a proficient music writer myself like a musician myself like um, so I definitely think that it's not necessarily being hypocritical if you criticize something that you're not good at yourself so if that's the implication of this adage or proverb then you know it's not always true and it's not always uh, unjustified to uh, quote-unquote th uh, throw stones while you're in a glass house but if the general implication is avoid being hypocritical then yeah I'd say that's a pretty good piece of moral advice okay so I'm getting to the last ones now the, the, the second last one I have here is when in Rome do as the Romans do that basically means if you're if you're in a new environment you should basically adapt to it and and do uh, as the majority of other people are doing um, now, in the context of immigration and and um, policy, uh, when people talk about assimilation versus multiculturalism, I definitely think you know it makes sense that if you're in, in a new place, you should uh, respect their values and, and try to follow them. But I, I don't think that's always universally true. Uh, just because you're in a new place, that you should you should uh, abide by by that that place's you know sort of general conduct, especially if your values that you hold strongly are are at odds with that. Now, does that mean that, you know, if some if I if I emigrate to some place and I don't agree with their values that I should, you know, be extreme about that or or cause conflict because of it? No, but at the same time I don't think avoiding conflict is is like a moral virtue necessarily. Like it's not that if you avoid conflict you're doing a good thing. Sometimes to do the right thing you do have to sort of face conflict. So while I, I, I do see the point in this, and it does make sense, and in general, I'd say it's quite true, uh, there are cases in which, you know, it's, it, it, it shouldn't be uh, the case. Uh, so I, I guess another way you can think about this is sort of sheep mentality of, or collectivism. Um, just because you're in a certain place, you do do things like everybody else does. I don't think that's a good thing. You know, you, you, should, you should be an individual. You should think for yourself. You should make your own decisions. But in the context of assimilation and, and, and generally, for, for the most part, um, trying to avoid conflict or, or at least being respectful of, of the country that you're in or, or the people that you're around, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's a fair statement to make. But like I said, there are some cases where um, it, it, it may not be justified. And if you think about it in the way of collectivism or sheep mentality, uh, certainly not. So, okay, the last one I have here is you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink it. And this was very similar to one of the adages or proverbs I um, mentioned earlier, which was God helps those who help themselves. Uh, and the point here is that, you know, you can try to give someone advice, but there's no 
guarantee that they'll actually take it or you can help someone there's no guarantee that they'll actually make use of that help and you know they're the one they're the ones that are being harmed by that they're the people who have something to lose if they if they don't now of course if you're on the other side of it if you're receiving help from someone and you don't think that help is going to be useful to you i mean yeah i mean if if you've thought it through then then you you are justified to to not uh, uh, adopt that advice um but at the same time you know there may be somebody who's in a bad position and they're not willing to listen to anybody else or anybody else's advice and of course uh, that's a bad thing so whether the statement is true you can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink it totally true and it's definitely something that needs to be considered uh that you you know also to consider which horses you actually take to the water you know the ones that do drink if 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 you have that limit on how many horses you can take to, to the water so extending that meta- metaphor to humans if you have a limit in resources and helping people you should try to help the people who are actually going to make use of that help so yeah i think i i, I addressed this to a reasonable extent in the previous adage i was talking about all right uh, that's all of the adages or proverbs I have here today with me. I think this was a pretty fun thing to do. I might do it again with with more adages, more proverbs. Of course, there's there's thousands and thousands of these out there. So yeah, this was really fun. I did it off the cuff, but I, I think it made for an in- interesting topic to talk about. I hope you guys agree, and I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast episode. But anyway, that'll do it for me today at the sign of the dollar. Thank you for listening.